Recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge high atop the John Peter McAllister building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia, it's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, the beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast here. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. So, hey, before we get into uh, the topic tonight... Been real busy around here lately. A lot going on. We got a lot of projects and stuff we're into in the middle of it, seems like. No kidding. But the coolest thing is in a couple of weeks, we're getting ready to head out to Morris, Pennsylvania for Monster Bash. If you haven't been to Monster Bash and you like classic hard and classic monsters like we do, you should check it out. Ron Adams puts on a great show up there. Yeah, it's amazing. We have a good time every year. They do it more than once a year, but we only ever get to go in June every year. And yeah, they do a, a June time. and an October show, and they have special events, I think, other times, like August and different times. But those are the two big shows. Mm-hmm. And we've been to the June show two years in a row. The first year we went, we had such a good time. Before it was over, we booked for the next year. Yeah. It was so much fun. And we'll be set up there actually selling some of our stuff and some a lot of the stuff that I make and some vintage stuff. And the dealer's room is amazing. Uh, the people are great that are there. Everybody's there just to have a good, good time and, you know, and celebrate classic monsters and stuff. And I uh, met some really cool people there the past couple of years. Looking forward to seeing them again. I can't say enough good things about that show. If you get a chance, hit up there. Look it up online. Monster Bash, Mars, Pennsylvania. It's just a couple weeks away. So check it out. Hopefully we'll see you there. A little closer to home, we've got coming up on June 14th. Right here at the lovely, beautiful, narrow, expanded cinema in Ghent section of Norfolk on Collie Avenue. Flick It Fridays, Buckaroo Banzai. Yes, we're showing Buckaroo Banzai in a theater. It's going to be amazing. Come check it out. Now, enough of that uh, promotion out of the way. I don't think we got anything else we need to plug, do we, <laughs> coming up? <laughs> um, Not right away. I mean, we're in the middle of planning for Monster Fest and planning oh, for the yeah. Williamsburg Nostalgia Festival. <laughs> Being involved in the production of two conventions that are that close together is uh, something else. Rather hard. Yeah, yeah. It's a, we got a lot on our plate right now. But uh, hey, you know, you Monster Fest, the one day event that we put on, Classic Car, and first Saturday in October, that's always a lot of fun. It's, of course, it's free to get into. And then in November, the Williamsburg Nostalgia Fest, a lot of classic stars from the golden age of Hollywood and movies and TV and it's a three-day event like most conventions and that's a lot of fun too so you know look them up both online and come check them out so tonight we're talking about one of my favorites the beast from 20,000 fathoms there's a lot going on this well a lot surrounding this picture to talk about 1953 came out. Of course, one of Ray Harryhausen's early works. Mm-hmm. And I love Ray Harryhausen. Do you, Rob? Of do course you love I do. Ray Harryhausen? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever said that before in public. <laughs> uh, any project Ray Harryhausen has done, I just, I love to death. He's a master craftsman, artist extraordinaire. I mean, his stuff is, his work is just beautiful. It's amazing what he could do with what he was working with. Yeah. You know, and you look at what all the computer-generated technology they have to work with today, and I, I, I'm sorry, it just doesn't match what he did. Not for me, it doesn't anyway. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that they do now is still amazing. I, I will, oh. I will definitely give them props. They're yeah, still very talented. 
but the imagination that it took for him to come up with that particular process for stop animation or yeah, and, and I mean, doing it all by hand, motion. working it, with yeah, models. It's just crazy. I've heard it said before, and it's true. What, what you could see that when you look at it, you see the computer generated stuff today, and it looks real, but you know it's fake. Mm-hmm. Some people look at Harry Hansen stuff, and it looks fake, mm-hmm. but you know it's real, right? Because he uh, on, I mean, he was actually working with physical models, right? So it's something actually there that he is manipulating by hand to make move, mm-hmm. and you can say looking at some of it, it looks a little bit jerky the way it moves a little bit but on the same hand there's some motions that especially like when he does tentacles and tails and stuff so it's smooth, so smooth. Yeah. and it, it's incredible how he could get that kind of motion just blows my mind out of that and the patience that man has oh yeah oh my god you know and not only that his de- his creature designs are fantastic yeah uh you know this one is he had to create a new dinosaur mm-hmm. and so he took, you know, kind of a brontosaurus and a, and a tyrannosaurus and put them kind of together and then added some fins to the going down the back and made it scaly, mm-hmm. more like a, a, a lizard instead of a dinosaur. Right. You know, and so, he, you know, he came up with his own thing. And it's distinctly a Harry Hasen creation. Right. The coolest thing about this is I got to see this model up close a few weeks ago. So I was going to say this in the coloration... Yeah. That they do on our the DVD that we have, it appears that the the uh, dinosaur is well. They do green. That's, you me. mean the cover? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All the all the ad stuff you ever see, it looks like it's green, and typically I guess because they think lizards are green. That's the only yes. thing I can think. But yeah, the one the model that I saw up close was like pinkish orange, right, or something. Mm-hmm. And I so guess that wouldn't look think, good on a poster or something. Well, know. right. But so do you, was that a choice because of the black and white filming? I mean, because, you know, some choices are made because of black and yeah. white film. And some are just because of the materials that he had. So do you think that that was a black and white film choice? Or um, was that the material he chose? Yeah, I don't know. I have never heard anything about that. Hmm. But that's a, that's a good point, though. Because it could have been that that color just showed up better on black and white than yeah. whatever green he was working with might have shown up too dark. Yeah, maybe. Or it, just, it could have been just he liked that color, <laughs> you know. Could and when be. they did the ad stuff, it just they figured green monster, green lizard, lizard green, yeah. you know. It just seems like it should have been green, right? I, that's the only thing I can figure out. You know, actually, I'd like to do some research and find out about that. That's kind of interesting. What? Why did he choose to sculpt it in that color? Yeah. The skin, you know. And how many different models were there of that? Just one. There's only one there ever just in the existence. One, yeah. Wow. And he says in an interview that we watched that a lot of his pieces, they cannibalized for the next film a lot of times, Mm. you know, and this one was used in another film as a background dinosaur or something. I think he said, I have to go back and look at the pictures I took to see. I don't think they cannibalized it. They changed anything on it Mm -hmm. as far as I could tell. But I have to go back. I'll post the pictures on the Facebook page. Okay. I only took two pictures. I should have taken tons of them more. And it's in, you know, it's in a worn state good god how old you know it was from 53 so yeah it's amazing any of it still is yeah exactly what material is it made of do you know uh i you know i don't know i'm sure Mm. it's some kind of rubber or yeah latex over the metal armature right you know that he built a real interesting thing about this is this came out in 53 
before Godzilla came out. Mm-hmm. And it's long stated, and I've seen it many places, that this movie was the inspiration for Godzilla. Okay. The people that made Godzilla saw this movie and like, we got to make a movie like that. Mm-hmm. And this is also the first movie to feature an atomic, uh, it was started the atomic monster phase. Okay. This was the first movie that had a monster that was woken up in the ice by atomic bomb testing. Hmm. And of course they carried that over to Godzilla and how many other films use that? Tons. Yeah. Deadly Mantis, blah, 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 on down the line. You know, but Godzilla always gets kind of the credit is because the big G, I mean, it's Godzilla. Yeah, it's Godzilla. Yeah. But uh, this was the first one. So if you have never seen this, learn where you came from. Go watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Another couple interesting things about this, the beginnings of it is it comes from a short story by Ray Bradbury. Right. Sort of. Mm hmm. That's that's the the Cliff Notes version. The inspiration of it. Yeah. for it, right? What had happened was <laughs> they were filming this movie called The Monster from Beneath the Sea. Mm-hmm. Ray Bradbury came to set because he was and Harry hasn't had been friends for a long time, and he saw the script and uh, read, you know was reading the script and said, "Hey, do you mind if I tweak this a little bit? You know, punch it up a little bit?" And they're like, "Hell yeah." Because the studio was like, yeah, because when then we can trade on the name Ray Bradbury, use his name to publicize it, and we get a, a punch up from Ray Bradbury, of course. Right. And he was looking at it, and he said, you know, there's a scene in here that's real similar to a short story that I wrote a few years ago called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Mm-hmm. So he rewrote some bits of the script, and they felt because the stories were so similar, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't want him to sue them, and they didn't want to get any flack from it. And, and they thought, you know, okay, we'll use Ray Bradbury's name. They bought the short story from him. I thought you said the short story had something to do with well, Lighthouse. Well, hang on, hang on. The, when it was originally published, it was Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Okay. After the movie came out and it was re-released in mm-hmm. uh, installments in, like, I think the Saturday Evening Post or something. Okay. It was changed to The Foghorn. Oh, okay. The title of the short story, that is. Right. And it was released serialized oh. that way. So... They took the name of the short story and then they changed the name of the short story. Or he, Bradbury himself changed the name of the short story. Interesting. But they bought the rights to the story. Mm-hmm. So are we following that? Do we need a program here? I'm with you. <laughs> so through a series of events, Ray Bradbury and Ray Harris has them working on the same project, here, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And, you know, for, you know, I, and I love 50s horror movies. I, yep. I love all horror same. movies. Okay. But this particular era I have a real fondness for. The, fi- mm-hmm. the scientific 50s era. Uh, when things are going away from the supernatural aspect and going into the atomic age and the and all that stuff, and they're so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's like I stayed a little while ago. We were watching this. You know, I could sit here all afternoon and watch all day long movies from this era and just have a ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> they're a lot of fun and it's like comfort food to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, a couple of interesting things about. I don't think we need to really go into the plot. It's a giant monster movie. You know, I mean, there's some atomic testing, yeah, I think it's... the monster gets awakened, the monster comes ashore, comes to the States, wreaks some havoc, we kill the monster. Titles roll. There's yeah, your plot. I think that that's pretty yeah. self-explanatory. Yeah. We didn't go into any plot or director or anything. Should no, we do that? the director, I, you know, I can't remember the director's name off the top of my head, um, but it's nobody that I recall his work you mm-hmm. know, over and over again. But some of the cast, on the other hand, now, right. Kenneth Toby is in this, and he was in The Thing. Mm-hmm. Most notably, and a bunch of other stuff. 
Ross Elliott's another actor who's at, in it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he's shown up in tons of things. He, all over TV in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. Mm-hmm. Most notably, he was the TV director on the Jack Benny show. He played the director on the show. Ah. So you saw him a lot on that. But he was also in uh, Monster on Campus, The Indestructible Man, mm-hmm. Tarantula. So he's been in the genre a lot. Right. Uh, another one, Frank Ferguson, mm-hmm. is the guy who was the doctor when the lead, the French guy, God, I can't remember his name, I should have wrote that down, <laughs> was in the hospital. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But Frank Ferguson shows up, you've seen him, tons of play, all over television, <laughs> yeah. in the 50s, 60s, 70s shows, you know. Um, but he was also in House of Wax, in mm. an uncredited role. Okay. But most memorably, he was McDougal the owner of the Wax Museum in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> okay. So now you know who Frank Ferguson is yeah, <laughs> if you didn't right. before. Another one, a name that shows up, or a care face that shows up, but his name isn't in the credits, is uh, Jimmy Best. Oh, just at the beginning James you said. James Best, yeah. yeah. You know, we were watching, I'm like, God, that guy sounds like James Best, really young. And mm-hmm. we saw him kind of in profile, and he saw his face real quick. It's like, it looks like a real young Jimmy Best. It had to have been. Mm-hmm. So I did some looking up, and it was. It was him. He just mm-hmm. had that couple lines and you know off yeah at the beginning and then he was yeah. gone yeah then you know this is back in the days when the credits just had the main cast that was it yeah it didn't have everybody that you know had a walk on or set a line or and the catering guy the guy that drove the truck didn't have all those credits it just had the main cast producer writer director makeup wardrobe you know just the basics yeah credits are short thank goodness <laughs> God, we were you know i was working at the narrow the other night Oh, well, yeah, you were there. We were both working that yeah. night. And the credits for that, whatever that movie was before. Was it Don Quixote? Yeah. It was something, something Don Quixote. Anyway, the credits went on forever on this movie. And those last two people wouldn't leave. <laughs> it's like, it's not Marvel people. There's no after credit sequence on this. <laughs> yeah, but some people always stay. You know, like Lee. We always stayed in the theater with Lee when the credits were on. We'd never leave till all the credits were run. Yeah, but I was hanging out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> But yeah, talking about the people in it, there's also now in the trailer, we had to go back and watch the trailer because I found something out I had to check out. The trailer, Vera Miles and Paul Pacierny from House of Wax mm-hmm. uh, are in the trailer for it, but oh, aren't in like the movie. doing the little narration yeah, thing, they have like little, just two lines or something. Yeah, it just it shows their faces and atomic stuff or avalanche or something behind them and they're saying, this could happen to you. you know, one of those kind of bits or, yeah. like you've never seen before. And why is, are they in the trailer like that? I mean, it's it's cool. Yeah. But what was really the point and they of had having nothing, them in it? Nothing else to do with the yeah. film. They weren't in it. No, they had nothing not, to do with not it. At all. all I can figure is somebody was cutting the trailer and goes, Man, this is what we need this. You know. Hey, you guys are here. Pick up the phone. Who's at the studio today? Yeah. Send Paul over. <laughs> Vera there. Send her over too. Get a camera ready. That's all I can figure out. Yeah, maybe. But you see that all the time as far as trailer stuff you see in the trailer never shows up in the movie. Mm-hmm. But not complete an actor that had nothing. Yeah. Else, not even a scene that was cut. It just right. wasn't involved at all. Yeah, I was going to say, know? sometimes you've, you've found stuff where there's an actor who's all their scenes were cut, like yeah. their whole part was cut, yeah. but not they just weren't in the movie, period. Yeah, that was just bizarre. Now, you know, when you're talking about stuff that was other movies and all, some of the Arctic footage, the avalanche footage. Oh, yeah. You see, that was reused. Of course it was. Oh, it was reused in this. Mm-hmm. It was lifted from a movie called She from 1935. Oh. That's all I could find that was the reuse footage you know there's mm-hmm. no no other stock footage yeah well i mean a lot of the uh when they're down in the bell oh the diving uh, bell yeah the diving bell the um the underwater 
footage with the shark and the octopus and oh yeah i'm sure some that, of the was. Others, that was all just stock yeah. footage of some yeah, well, yeah. so well, some of that was the octopus stuff was filmed in an aquarium oh was it yeah because you can see the octopus the suckers like stuck to glass in front of you yeah oh well yeah but i meant the part yeah. where the shark and the oh yeah are fighting yeah. that well i'm wasn't sure they didn't stage that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying okay bring in the shark they're throwing the octopus neither one of them have been fed for a week you know? yeah and fight Oh, I'll tell you something kind of interesting. The original theatrical release of this mm-hmm. was in sepia tone. Oh. The print. And some of the prints, the underwater stuff, mm-hmm. uh, they tinted green. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know if that would have been cool or distracting. Yeah, I don't uh, know. The DVD we were watching, uh, of course, was black and white. And it's right. a nice clean print. Yeah. As a double feature DVD with them, which I think is still available. I have to check Amazon and see. Um I wouldn't mind getting a Blu-ray of this, actually. Yeah. If it was it was a nice, restored, clean one, if they didn't just copy it off the DVD. Right, you know. right. Well, so if you said the original was was released in sepia tone, was that the that was the plan? I mean, they had yeah. intended to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, then I that guess. goes that goes back to my question about the the, color, the, creature, the creature color. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay, continue. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if from the get-go that was the plan, or was after they filmed it. You know, it's like. Mm. Let's tint this sepia and let's tint this green. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't know. Take a little more digging to find that out. Yeah, yeah. Just curious. I It'd like be stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Some other stuff about the original uh, release of this. The uh, and this is the only thing, the only violent bit or gory bit, if you want to call it, for back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, was cut was the scene where the uh, Redosaurus, which is the what they dubbed the monster. Mm-hmm. Um. Leans the cop is shooting at him in the street, and he and the cop's trying to reload, and he just reaches down and picks him up, bites him, and picks him up, and then flips him in his mouth and swallows him whole. Right. They cut it from the original release because it was oh, that was a little bit horrific. But you know, I was thinking about it when we were watching, especially watching the little interview with Harryhausen mm-hmm. and just him talking about the work and all. It's like you know, I don't see that his and it wasn't gory at all. There was no, no blood. You didn't see him chomp down on anything you know you could see little feet for a second and then he was gone yeah sticking out of his mouth and he swallowed him but i can just see this like the fascination of a kid of like a 12 year old playing with dinosaurs going oh this will be cool you know you know the dinosaur eats the guy and i'm just thinking that was his thinking when he did the exactly the imagination creating it that was his thinking yeah in doing that scene and that's the way it plays to me yeah you know, it's not like he bit him in blunts and he's squi- you know, howling in pain and and crunching bones and blood. No, it's none of that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's really an innocent little scene, but it was restored for the video release, right. the original video release, and of course in subsequent video releases, it's still there. <laughs> it's a cool little scene. Too, it is a cool know? scene. I thought the blind man falling down and getting trampled by the masses running from the Redosaurus was. Way worse than the dude getting eaten. Yeah, that was kind of uh, horrific. Yeah, I mean, and showing I, I the, thought it was showing the panic and just you, know, you know people just losing their minds trying yeah. to get away and they don't care. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a gory scene or anything, I mean, like but you Black know, it's Friday. just just yeah, mass panic <laughs> at the and, mall. <laughs> yeah, mass panic. People are trampling over the poor blind dude who you know, fell down on the ground and nobody's bothering to stop. Yeah, I love how they're the one scene where the guys are running from the pier when he first shows up. And they get to that first part where the the two little kids are playing, and instead of like trying to help the kids or oh, make the kids just, run, they they're just running, run around them, yeah. yeah and the kids are and one like, of them like actually 
kind of moves the girl by the shoulder to get out of his way. Yeah. <laughs> then the mother comes finally comes out of the building and gets the kids. Yeah, but, yeah. Screw uh, the kids. Save yourself. Yeah, every man for himself. Yeah. We got punk. <laughs> There's a couple of great scenes, though. You can see where the Godzilla influence really is. Mm-hmm. And some of the scenes where it shows the, the monster rears up and you see his head straight on. Yeah. That looks like some actually some of the later Godzilla face designs. Mm-hmm. Dead on for a second there, it's like, oh, there's Godzilla. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, one thing that I didn't think about or didn't anticipate in this giant monster film was not only is this a giant monster film and things are bad enough with a giant monster. Yeah. But the giant monster has shown up with a terrible, virulent disease in its blood that is being spread. Across the city. Well, you don't know that at first because he's not bleeding. But when they finally wound him somehow, one of the shots splits a scale or something. Yeah, and he's bleeding. It's like radioactive blood. Yeah, well, they didn't say radioactive. And I don't think they intended it to be radioactive. They just said he's got some kind of disease that's spreading. And they actually, before he was hit, they said something about, you know, these people were sick. And he was saying that Uh he was scared of what he, you know, the doctor said he was scared of what he brought with him. Yeah. And that was before he got hit. Oh, yeah. So yeah, people right. were sick that's before right. he got hit. But anyway, so I, that was, yeah. it was well, just kind of an aside. Isotope, so. They did. Yeah. They did. And it was, it was really an aside. It didn't play a huge part into the film. But, you but know, as if things, have. yeah, it could have. And if things weren't bad enough, then there's yeah. this. If know? they would have if they would have made that movie today, mm-hmm. or that God forbid they would remake it. Oh, please don't. That will be a major plot point in it. Yeah, yeah. Because that's just the thing yeah. now. Back then it was like, Okay, here's this, but it's a giant monster. Yeah. The monster's the important part. Yeah. You know, it's like somebody was, re- I read some short review about the new Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. And somebody was saying, well, it was a lot of the monster fighting, but there wasn't much plot or this, that, and the other thing. And one guy commented, he said, it's three giant monsters beating the shit out of each other. What more do you want? <laughs> That's what you go to see a Godzilla movie for. You don't go to see the human drama. <laughs> and it's true. I don't give a shit about the human drama part of a Godzilla movie. I want to see the monsters fighting. Right. That's the bottom line. And I would prefer to see the guy in a big rubber suit monster fighting <laughs> instead of the CGI monster <laughs> fighting. That's just a lot more fun. Well, we still have to see the new movie just to see it. <laughs> I want to see it. I just want to know. I, I want to see the other monsters, but the Godzilla design is horrendous. He I has, know. He has no head. I know. It's just an extension of his neck. Yeah, I get it. But I still want to know. His neck. That's what it looks like. It does. But I still want to know. Anyhow, that's another story. Yeah. Now, we've talked the plot, but the end is the best part. Hmm. The end, and one cat, one cast member I didn't mention earlier, they have wounded the monster, and they figure out the way they can kill him is they have to inject a radioactive isotope in his bloodstream. Yes, and they can't shoot him anymore. They can't cause any more blood to splatter because yeah. the blood you know, causes yeah. more disease. So if they can shoot this isotope, into the wound, it should kill him. Right. So the doctor says, "Okay, get you know, general, give me get your best sharpshooter up here, and they can get this grenade launching rifle and load this isotope." And here's the sharpshooter, and step out of that jeep, Lee Van Cleef, <laughs> young Lee Van Cleef, full head of hair, jet black hair, and he, and the, the greatest line. He says, "The doctor says, can you shoot one of these grenade rifles?" He says. What does he say? I pick my teeth with him. Yeah, I pick my teeth with him. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I can shoot it. You know. So they put on the radioactive suits and they drive. The monster at this point is supposedly on Coney Island, and he's almost like he's caught in the middle of the big roller coaster. He's trying to. He got in there and he's 
eating his way out, knocking you know, the coaster down. <laughs> Actually, it's the Long Beach Amusement Park. Okay. Is where it was filmed. But it's supposed to be Coney Island. Right. I know it's not Coney Island because there's no Wonder Wheel. No Wonder Wheel. But they get to the bottom of the roller coaster and he holds a rifle up and he's trying to get his sight and he's like, I can't hit him from here. It's too yeah. far away. So what do they do? Get to the top of the roller coaster. That's right. The doctor says, General, get somebody over here that can run this thing. <laughs> and they get in the coaster and they put their, their hoods around. And the guy just pulls a lever and the coaster takes off. It's like, well, glad they got a professional to start this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else could have done that. Nobody could have pulled that lever. No way. But the coolest thing is these guys riding to the top of this roller coaster and him getting out with his grenade launching gun at the top of roller coaster and shoots it into this monster's neck. That's yes. awesome. I mean, in their in their very protective suits, they're lead lined. <laughs> lead lined. Yeah. They were. They had to be to be protected from radiation. Yes. Yes. Super lead lined cloth suits. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. light. They were lightweight for summer. <laughs> But it's just this cool visual of Lee Van Cleef riding in the top of a roller coaster and shooting this monster in the neck. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you watch the movie for nothing else, that's it. I mean, the Ray Harry hasn't worked. Beautiful. It's that's the reason to see it. Yeah. But if for no other reason to see Lee Van Cleef do that, that's that's your money right there. True. 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 Oh, I forgot to mention talking about Harry Hasn't's work. One of the cool scenes in it, actually, a scene from the short story mm-hmm. when the monster comes up out of the water oh. and attacks the lighthouse. Right. And it's kind of done, it's at night, so it's kind of done almost in silhouette. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. It was. Really kind of moody. Yeah, and it was really it, nice. It really looked good. Mm-hmm. It, it also it lent a little different scene to the movie mm-hmm. where every t- other time you see the monster. Yeah. Pretty much Well, you, you could see him on that, but yeah, it was, you're right, in silhouette. It was kind of yeah. atmospheric. It was a little darker mm-hmm. in tone. Yeah. Not just in, you know, visual. Yeah. No, it was good. It's funny because this one, everybody talks about the the 50s atomic sci-fi stuff that, you know, you just kind of think about the cheesiness factor and how silly they are and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. This really doesn't have that feel to me. I don't no, no. I don't look at this and think of that kind of stuff. There are the moments. Oh, like it has the, a couple, couple of moments yeah, that the, are like the that. Silly, but, but it's... It's still charming to me. Yeah. You know, like well, that's the, the thing. Like the one guy who has to come and operate the yeah. <laughs> the but, roller coaster. See, that's Nobody the thing about these movies. They they have a charm to them. Yeah. Most all of them do have a certain charm that and like I said before, it's like comfort food to watch these movies. Yeah. For me anyway. Right. And I'm I'm assuming everybody that loves these things like I do, it, it has it gives you that kind of feeling to watch them. Yeah. There is that one bit at the beginning there where the, the general and the two Ross Elliott and the other scientists they're at the Arctic, mm-hmm. and this is one of those typical fifties cliche scenes. Or mm-hmm. the guy says, "Um, well, you're talking like a scared man, there, Doctor." He says, "What makes you think I'm not scared, General?" <laughs> and they all three go <laughs> together. <laughs> that's just that's the the one of those those typical cheesy that everybody makes fun of. Yeah, that's the scene in this movie. Like, yeah, that, that is <laughs> right, right. The disc that we, that we were watching, um has a couple of extras on it. it has a making of which is really just a little interview with harry Housen that's nice mm-hmm. a couple minutes long it's worth worth watching yeah what did he call the dinosaur in that the ray harry house oh well, he says he said other people they he called it the redosaurus he said a lot of people thought he just would put ray harry has and a saurus together yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i don't blame him if he would have right uh, another in- thing about Harry Hasen is every project he did up to Clash of the Titans, he did by himself, alone in his studio, no distractions, no assistance. 
every piece of animation he did by himself up until he did Clash of the Titans and he had a couple of assistants. Mm -hmm. And I can't say enough because over and over I'll gush over Harry Hazen's work. It's just beautiful. I've been having a hankering recently to watch Seventh Voyage of Sinbad here. Speaking of Harry Hazen, I think I think I will watch that again soon to see some Cyclops action there. Well, perhaps you shall. Yeah. This, I'm sure you can see it just about anywhere. I'm guessing it's on, probably on Amazon. I don't know about Netflix, but some other streaming stuff. Yeah, it's probably on YouTube. Yeah, uh, yeah, it probably is on YouTube. You know, everything is. But I, I would say get the DVD or the Blu-ray. Own it so you can watch it over and over again in really good quality. And yeah, I'm of the mind. I would, I would rather own the movie and have it than to depend on it streaming because they could take it off streaming. It could go out. I can have problems with, with the connection that I couldn't watch it. But I can always put that DVD right in, you know. Well, it's a different mindset these days. Well, yeah, you know, I heard somebody the other day said they were getting rid of all their DVDs because everything they want to watch is streaming. I'm like, there's probably a tenth of stuff I want to watch that's available for streaming. Yeah, I know. Well, all, the stuff all the stuff that, that we yeah, have. The stuff that we want to watch yeah. is not all available. <laughs> and yeah, I've got a lot of movies that have never been released anywhere else except the one time on DVD that I found it somewhere, you know, and you yeah. never will see it on a streaming service. Yeah. yeah. And also, too, with the DVD and the Blu-ray, you get a lot of extras. True. That aren't on the streaming versions of the mm-hmm. movies, too. So, you know, there's that. You choose how you want to watch it. But above all, watch, watch it. it. Seek this out, uh, especially if you've seen the new Godzilla movie or if you love Godzilla movies, giant monster movies. This is the this is the grandfather. This is the first one of its type. The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, 1953, Ray Harryhausen. Check it out. Watch it. I will be putting up as many pictures as I can find and behind-the-scenes stuff on the Facebook page. Of course, I'll post the trailer up there so you can see the two people that aren't in the movie <laughs> on the trailer. <laughs> and drop us a line there on the page. Make a comment or, you know, it, even at the Phantasmo After Dark email, which is phantasmoad at gmail.com. All one word, phantasmoad at gmail.com and uh because yeah we like to hear from you like to know somebody's listening that's always cool <laughs> and uh that's about it i can't think I of think anything so. else we have one more thing to do oh that's right we have to prove once again that the world revolves around planet of the apes it does indeed yes the six degrees of kevin bacon game uh stole this idea from us many years before. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they heard of well, this. Yeah. <laughs> well, Clayton and I started this uh, 100 years ago. We figured out that you could connect anything in the world back to pl- the original Planet of the Apes. And then a couple years later, they started doing this with Kevin Bacon. So we're like, ah. You know. <laughs> okay, what are we doing? Um, Let's do Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. Connect back to Planet of the Apes. Yep. Man, there's a million ways you can go. There should be, right? Oh, yeah. There should be. Let's see what's going to be the most fun, though. Okay. Because sometimes going around your ass to get to your elbow is more fun than going in two steps. The direct route, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Well, here, here's a quick one. This this will be quick. Leave Ancleaf mm-hmm. to the Octagon with Chuck Norris. Okay. Chuck Norris to Lone Wolf McQuaid. Mm-hmm. David Carradine. Mm-hmm. David Carradine to Circle of Iron. Mm-hmm. Roddy McDowell's in that. Well, that was pretty Apes. quick again. Yeah, that was pretty quick. I, I could try. I could try a longer route if you want. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, that's about it, I guess. Uh, I suppose so. Once again, you have proven the world revolves around Planet of the Apes, and indeed it does. Before we cut off, as I say, watch these movies yourself, form your own opinions, 
and enjoy these films because they're amazing and we got to, you know, we got to keep the love alive, you know? You got it. Right on. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.